0: Um, so, Father, we bless you. Uh, we pray that you would help us as we um, explore uh, who your Holy Spirit is, uh, what he does in our lives, and how he works in and through your church. We pray that you would help us to, as we learn more about you, your Son, and your Spirit, that we would uh, grow in our love for you and grow in our desire to worship and honor you. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as you guys can see, these are the questions we're gonna be diving into this week. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the work of the Spirit? What is the church? What do we mean when we use those funny words, Catholic and Apostolic, when we say the creed? And how do we join the church? How do we become members of the church? Um, So, let's go ahead and say together this final section of the creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, amen. So when we talk about this word spirit, what does the word spirit mean? Um, so in both Hebrew and Greek, in Hebrew the words ruach and in pneuma, uh, pneuma in Greek, he, uh, ruach in Hebrew rather, um, and in both languages the word can mean spirit, it can mean breath, it can mean wind, it's, it's one of those kind of multifaceted words, so by the context you figure out what it means. Um, throughout the scriptures you see talk of spiritual beings or spirits, and so these, these are non-corporeal, they don't have bodies, um, so things like angels, demons, uh, things like that. Um, but the scriptures also talk about the Holy Spirit being distinct from these other spiritual beings and that he's divine by nature and he's worshipped alongside the Father and the Son. Um, any questions about just that word spirit? Okay. So it's always non-corporeal. non yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so for example, uh, John 4.24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, right? So that God's distinct from... Uh, the physical realm, yeah. Um, Satan the
1: spirit.
0: Yep. Yes. hmm Yeah. Yeah, angels, demons, Satan, those, ki- those kinds of beings that don't have bodies. Doesn't mean they're not real, right? We talked about that last week, difference between spiritual and, and physical or whatever. Um, but yeah, that they don't, they don't have bodies like we do um, and therefore aren't limited in the same ways that we are.
2: Yeah. Can they so- manifest, though,
0: Yep, absolutely. Sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep. And a demon too. Yep. Author of Hebrews talks about people entertaining angels unaware. Um, uh, uh, when Jacob wrestles with God, he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Yeah. Um, tons of physical manifestations throughout Old and New
1: Testament. And also, they are, they're able to alight and fly off or disappear.
0: Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're not restrained. Uh, yeah. Um, yet, yeah, yeah, they're not restrained in the same way that we are in terms of. Dimensionally or or, or, yeah. or ability wise, but they can't. So, like for example, when Daniel has his vision, um, uh, Michael comes or is it G- Gabriel? I forget who it is, but one of the angels comes to visit him, um, and he said, talks about how he was delayed uh, by this other spiritual being. Um, so, yeah, I can, yeah, it's foggy in my brain, but um, yeah. Uh, but but so that they can have conflicts, right? That that would. So it's it's not like they're again they're not um, non corporeal. Doesn't mean they don't have any interactions at all.
1: They can, they can physically.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Push. Yep, they can. Yep.
3: Manifest and kill. You know, and, and realize that you could be standing next to somebody. You see the angel. They don't. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it looks physical B- to you. B- yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Body. Yep. Balaam's donkey saw the angel. Balaam's donkey Balaam saw the angel. Yeah,
0: yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> oh, right. Just read that not that long ago. Yep. <laughs> yeah. read the Daily Office, really. Then you, you learn.
4: You, <laughs> you stick with these things. It helps. Yeah. It helps.
2: Because I, I heard it.
1: Mm-hmm. And then yeah, was, absolutely, and then it was just gone. Nobody could find this person that yeah, uh, helped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, And then uh, remember Robert Barlow?
2: He he yeah. had a story about how yeah. somebody saved him on a mountain somewhere
4: when they were mm-hmm. lost or something, yeah. and then yeah. all of a sudden he was gone. I remember that.
3: Yeah. yeah. My so, wife, wa- um, my wife tells one story that's, that's kind of strange. That she was queen she was working as a as a. Uh, paralegal at the time and she was going to a conference in downtown LA and she was profoundly lost and so she stopped to get directions this kind of Rastafarian guy came up motioned her to roll down the window, so she did, he said, you want to go up this street, over that street, uh, it's one way so you have to come back and the parking is on your right. She said, oh, thank you very much. And then she started to drive away and realized, she didn't tell him where she was. Going to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, when she looked, he wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. So,
0: yeah, and I, th- I think I think a, a decent way to think about it is is to think about that the that there are things that are happening in the spiritual realm and there's like a veil and you just can't see through it. Doesn't mean they're not there, just because, but you just can't see it. Um, so uh, maybe think about it like, a, this might be a, a, fun, a funny analogy, like you're colorblind. There are certain things you can't see. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're not there, right? But you just don't have the eyes to see them. But God can open your eyes so that you can, and that happens throughout Old and New Testament. Um, yeah. So. so, we talked about spirit. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, we see numerous times where the Holy Spirit is called God. So this is one of the classic texts that people tend to go to. Um, so in Acts chapter 5, this is also a good example when people say God's really mean in the Old Testament and is really nice in the New Testament. Didn't read Acts
1: 5.
0: Um, So Ananias and Sapphira had said that they had sold their land and that they had given all of the proceeds to the church. They actually had kept some to themselves. The issue is not that they kept some to themselves, but they lied and said that they had given everything. So Peter responds to Ananias first, who comes first, and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why then have you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So here we see Peter calling, saying he's lying to the Holy Spirit and then saying you're lying to God. Um, I don't love this text personally as a proof text. I think it's a little messy because you could also be saying that you are also lying to God the Father. So I prefer clearer texts. So this is the one that I prefer to use. So in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about uh, the establishment of a new covenant. And so uh, the Lord is speaking here. Um, So, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, after the exile, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So multiple times in this passage, we have the use of the divine name, right? Lord in all caps, Yahweh. So Yahweh is speaking. Um, you have the, uh, he's going to put, put law into their hearts that people won't be able to, won't tell one another, know the Lord, everyone will know the Lord. Um, and that he will forgive their iniquity. He will not remember their sins. The author of Hebrews writes, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Author of Hebrews is, the book of Hebrews in general is great for establishing the Trinity. It's not normal go-to text because people tend to think, oh, it's got all this stuff about Judaism that I don't understand. It's wonderful for these things because of the quotations. So he quotes from that last passage that we just looked at. Very clearly, Yahweh is speaking. And then he says, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Um, And you see the Holy Spirit then saying that he's going to do things that, again, only God can do. We looked at one of those passages before in Mark 2 where Jesus uh, heals the paralytic. uh, And the Pharisees say, well, how can you forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus reads their minds and say, why are you troubled in your hearts? Right. So A, he's reading their minds already in trouble. But B, he doesn't negate that only God can do that. That only God can forgive sins, right? Um, so here we see the Holy Spirit saying that he's going to forgive their sins. He won't remember their sins any longer.
2: How come the Lord is not capitalized
0: here? So we talked about that in session one. Um, but so remember uh, when the uh, Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, they didn't use the divine name. So they would use the word for the equivalent for Lord, Kyrios. Um, uh, that was, that was standardized. And then when we did our English translations, we did the same thing. But the difference is we wanted to um, be able to mark where the divine name is. So sometimes, like if you read like an old King James, um, you'll see Jehovah sometimes. Other, most of the time you'll see Lord um, in all caps when the divine name is used. In the New Testament, they never used the divine name because it had fallen out of favor. They were trying to not take God's name in vain. So they stopped using the divine name at all. So even when they're quoting and they know that it's the divine name, they just use curios. Um They just use Lord. So that's why you see that difference. Um, also important to remember, um, we mentioned this in our uh, study scripture seminar last fall, um, but in Greek and Hebrew, they don't use uppercase and lowercase. All the manuscripts are all, all capital letters, no spaces between them, no punctuation, none of that. So, so when people, when somebody says like, well, how come you don't, sometimes, like I don't tend to, if you're, if, sometimes you'll see people see like, uh, if you say like, he loves you, just as an example of a phrase, that the he has to be capitalized because it's God. No, no scripture ever did that. Um, that's a, that's a, a later addition, um, right? There's no distinction in terms of capital, I, I lowercase. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't happy. think it's bad. I, I will say I think it's messy because sometimes there are texts that have an immediate imp- uh, meaning in the Old Testament um, that have a Christological meaning from a New Testament eyes, and so it can mean both. Christological, it's looking forward to what Jesus will do. Um, so... And again, they didn't do those distinctions, so I think it's a little, it can be a little messy. Um, You know, if you miss one or you're not being reverent, it gets a little, you know. So I think it's a fine way to demonstrate reverence. I don't think it's bad, but I think it's too easy to be inconsistent, so I just consistently don't do it, Um, but.
1: Consistent capitalizing is what you're
0: saying. Correct, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't affect anything. Just know that no Christian ever did it until like 500 years ago, (laughs) so. Um, but does that, does that make sense, how, how the author of Hebrews is using those texts to demonstrate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so we also see in Genesis, we see that the Spirit is present at creation. Right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, not only this, but, but we see uh, in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit participates in creating. So in Psalm 33, uh, it's written, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all the host. He gathers the water, uh, waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deep in storehouses. Now, you might look at that and go, well, where does it say spirit? Remember, breath. breath. It's, the, it's, it's ruach in Hebrew. So you can, tra- you can choose to translate it. This is why it's good to learn all the original languages, because <laughs> then you can actually read it. So you can very well translate it. Breath, because you have mouth, right? So that's a very natural way. Yep, it says of his mouth. Yeah, so that's that's the reason for doing that. But remember, it says it, you could just as well translate it the spirit of his mouth. Um, so they're going to go towards the the alliteration there, but, or not the alliteration, but the but the metaphor there. Um, but we see the same thing um, in Job twenty six. By his power he stilled the sea. By his understanding he shattered the proud. By his wind the heavens were made fair. Uh, his hands pierced the fleeting serpent. Again, find a translated wind. Right, But you could just as well, that the spirit is is making those things fair. Um, By the way, early New Testament Christians, particularly those who are dealing with uh, the Arian controversy, which is what the creed was written in response to, would look at passages that talk about power and wisdom and refer to those as Jesus. Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God. So when they see passages that are talking about God's power, they go, that's Jesus. When they see wisdom, they go, that's Jesus. Um, Same thing here, I would argue. And the word, too, isn't it? Word, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, by the word of the Lord, the heavens are made. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yep, early Christians would look at those phrases and go, oh yeah, that's, those are indications of the fuller revelation that we would get in the New Testament. Let's talk about the filioque clause. Um, so we talked about this very briefly in the first session, um, but the original version of the Nicene Creed, that final version, version 2.0, Um, originally says, we believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. Um, So that he proceeds from the Father, not and the Son. So filioque is just the Latin word for uh, uh, and the Son. Um, This phrase and the Son was actually appended to the Nicene Creed in Spain um, to fight against Arianism and over time uh, it spread throughout the Western uh, side of Christianity. If you go to a Greek Orthodox church, they will not say i the son. The reasoning for that is they said, look, we don't make changes to the creed, so you don't just get to add random things. It doesn't matter if it's true. You don't change the creed. That's their, that's their position. And it was one of the reasons, not the only one and not the most important, but it was one of the reasons why the church split in 1054. Uh, because the Western church had added on to the creed, and so they said, you guys, are, you guys are adding things. You can't add to the faith. You don't get to just randomly on one side of the, one side of the church is going to add some things, and we're not over here. Um, so does that make sense? So if you actually look at our, the actual liturgy, the actual ACNA liturgy, which you can go download... Um, You'll see "and the sun is in brackets, and they'll have a a little footnote that says that this is not originally in the creed. um, That we do it because we're Western Christians, and that's just what we've inherited. But you don't have to. So you'll see some Anglican churches that don't say it because it's not in the original creed. Um, And it and it is a well, we'll talk about that. (laughs) I I
3: was once was at St. Alban's
1: actually Mm -hmm.
3: had a um, Greek Orthodox visitor. Mm -hmm. omitted the filioque uh, clause there. Really?
0: Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And that's actually, so like 10-ish years ago when the ACNA was, was forming, we had dialogues with the Orthodox Church of America and one of the stipulations for us reestablishing full communion with them, full communion, was that we removed the filioque from the creed. Um, we haven't done that. Is that big of a deal? Yeah, oh yeah, picking. oh yeah. So, th- so think about it. So you're, this, the bishops came together and said this is, this is what the faith of the church is right? And then one small synod over in Spain, because they were dealing with what people were saying was, well, if the Spirit only proceeds from the Father, how is Jesus equal to the Father? And so to fight against that, they said, well, well he also proceeds from the Son. Scripturally, true. Um, and we'll look at that text. Um, and what was Arianism again? Arianism was the belief that uh, the Father alone is God, that Jesus and the Spirit are creations. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that today. Um, yeah, so to, so to help fight against that and say, well, if Jesus really, is he just kind of divine because the, if the Spirit only proceeds from the Father, right? Jesus explicitly says the Spirit proceeds from the Father. So the creed is actually just quoting from the New Testament. Um, but Jesus also does talk about how he will send the Spirit as well. Um, so theologically, it, it makes sense um, if you're talking about the, um, the Spirit being sent to the church. Um, some other people talk about, try to equate the procession of the spirit with Jesus being eternally begotten. That's not taught in the creed. That's not taught in scriptures. Um, when we talk about procession scripturally, it's talking about the spirit being sent to the church. Um, the creed does not say that the spirit etern- is eternally proceeding from the father and from the son. So does that make sense? Yeah. So, so big, the big thing is not, is not. Yeah, I agree. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: more to it than that.
0: There was more to the split than that. That was a major issue, and, and it's totally understandable why it is. And in my head, I go, that's such an easy thing to fix. Just fix it. Just go back to what the original creed said. We shouldn't change it anyway. It's actually not the only change. Uh, in, the, in the Greek Greek version, they don't actually say, so we say God from God, light from light, true God from true God. They omit that last true God from true God. It is in the original version of the creed. It's not the second version of it. There's other changes. The Armenian church has lots of additions, and nobody gets upset about them. Uh, I
1: mean, God from God,
0: right?
1: but why add true God from true God? The,
0: like the language of that, what it's basically saying is, is it's saying when we talk about Jesus being begotten and not made of the father, that whatever God begets shares his nature. So my son James shares my nature, right? He has the exact same nature that I do. I can't beget a cat, oh. right? And so the father can only beget divine beings, right? That are equal to him in nature. So if the fa- so all the characteristics that I have, my son has, right? I'm not talking about like genetic makeup or whatever, but he has a human nature, just like I have a human nature. right? He doesn't have a tail, I don't have a tail, right? He doesn't have a claws, he's not a cat. Same way, the father, when he begets the son, he begets the son eternally, that the, the father and the son are in this eternal relationship where he's begetting the son. Um, this, is, this is outside of time, right? Not that this is happening forever, this is outside of time, right? Literally the creed says begotten before all ages, before time, um, right? This is a timeless event, um, however you wanna work out what that means. Um, but that, that, that's, and so when we say God from God, light from light, true God from true God, we're saying that the Father doesn't, doesn't beget creatures, so that whatever he begets has his exact same nature. So if the Father's eternal, the Son's eternal. Does that make sense? That's what they're saying. So that that phrase, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, is not in scripture, um, but it's how the early fathers would talk about um, the relationship between the father and the son, so that's why it's there. Any other questions about filioque? Okay, yeah. Big thing with that is just to to know that that's an issue. It's an ecumenical issue. It's an issue between churches. Um, Still. Still, still to this day still an issue. Um, Yeah, Rome and and Eastern Orthodox are not, the band's not back together. Um, So
1: they're still trying.
0: They're still trying. Everybody's still trying. Yep. Um, So uh, so it's not it's not a but it's something to be aware of to go hey this is what we've received is not the original. Um, So
3: any idea how they received our Anglican compromise? (coughs) Putting it in brackets?
0: Yeah, uh, no. (laughs) So there there were other uh, things that they wanted, but that was one of them that, uh, yeah, we just didn't really follow through on. So Um, Yep, not a bishop, don't get to make those calls. So (laughs) Uh, so, uh, the spirit is a gift for the church. So in John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus talks about how he's going to give them, if, uh, no, notice commiserate with this is that if you, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. This is t- these, these are tied ideas, um, right? Um, but that he will ask the Father and that he will give them another helper. Right? So Jesus is, is their helper already. So the Spirit is another helper um, uh, to be with them forever. And that the world cannot receive the Spirit. The Spirit is explicitly a gift for the church. Um, this is an important distinction. So sometimes people get a little messy with this idea, right? But Jesus is very clear. The world can't receive it. It's not for the whole world, right? It's for the church. Now, God's trying to call all people out of the world into the church, right? So um, God desires to part a spirit on all flesh, right? Um, but there's a distinction in, in that it's, only, it's a gift for the church. Um, and and. What what the Spirit does is the Spirit teaches us and reminds us of the words of Jesus. So Jesus talks about again in John fourteen and fifteen. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And very quickly notice who proceeds from the Father. The creed is just quoting from uh, John fifteen. Uh, the creed quotes from scripture a lot, um, so that's all it's doing. But notice the Spirit is sent in His name. Jesus talks about how, how He will send Him, right? Um, so there's, they're, they're, the Father and the Son do participate coequally with the sending of the Spirit. Um, I think that's a scriptural idea. That's a different subject than can you change the creed? Um, but what we see here is that the that, that the Spirit is being sent to help us recall the things that Jesus has has taught us, um, that he will bear witness about Jesus, Um, right? So the Spirit is not looking for attention, right? The Spirit is rather pointing to Jesus. Um, That's his role, that's his job. Um, Particularly in us, that he's pointing us and reminding us this is what Jesus taught, right? So that when we're in these moments where we have maybe an exchange with someone and we feel like, well, it doesn't feel like I was really there in that exchange. It felt like somebody else kind of took over. Right, that the Holy Spirit is there working in us and through us. Or for some reason, you just keep remembering Scripture passages, and normally you're not this good with it, but for whatever reason, they keep coming to you. Right? Yeah. Holy Spirit working in you and through you, right? so that you can be his witnesses. Um, so this is, this is the work that the Spirit does in us. Any questions about that? Okay. So the
3: Holy Spirit is eternal
0: also? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So going, going back to that original... He's not a creation, that's right, that's right. In fact, he, he participates in creation, yeah, that he always existed. Um, and the, and the, big, the big indicator for that, right, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all identified as Yahweh, right? So we spent earlier sessions talking explaining, here's all these, right, but we saw very clearly all three Hebrews calls the Spirit Yahweh. And so <coughs> that name Yahweh, what does that mean, right? When, when God identifies himself as Yahweh to Moses, he says, I am that I am, right? I'm the self-existent one right? He is, he is not contingent on anything else. He's eternal. Um, and so um, what we see is that there's only one, one Yahweh. There's only one God, right? There are no gods formed before him, no gods formed after him. He's the only one, and yet this one God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're distinguished from one another. They're not the same, um, and yet they're all called one God. Um, so that's the, that's the trinity, Um, So we see in Scripture also that the Spirit is honored with the Father and the Son. Um, So a passage that hopefully you guys have memorized by now. uh, The Great Commission, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Name, you'll notice, is singular. Uh, In the singular name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three persons are there. Um, In uh, 2 Corinthians 13, Um, Again, if you do the uh, daily office, you'll be familiar with this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All three persons mentioned um, with the same honors um, and working and doing different things, right? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus giving us grace, God showing us his love, and the fellowship, the unity that we have through the Holy Spirit. Um, Or 1 Peter 1, uh, he writes his letter to those who are elect, those who have been chosen, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, the making holy of the Spirit, um, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. Again, all three persons. If you read the opening of Ephesians, um, it's mostly one long sentence uh, that has the Father calling people, um, the Son uh, dying for them, the Spirit sanctifying them. Um, Paul opens up his letter doing that. All over the place, you'll see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit not only working together out the plan of salvation, but again, being honored. Um, at the same level, um, but they are, they are co-equal with one another. We also see the Holy Spirit is the one that speaks through the prophets, right? So this is what we say in the creed, right? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. Um, so Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God, literally theanustos, um, literally God breathed. Um, but again, you've got that Pneuma, spirit. Um, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's breathing out um, that all scripture, all, 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 all that we can identify as being legitimately from God is breathed out from God, and then that, we, that we use those, those words for these things, for training, for teaching, for righteousness. Um, in Second Peter, he makes it even more explicit. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? So whenever God's speaking through his church, through the prophets, it's not an individual person that, well, I have this great idea, right? Or I think, I think we should do this in this situation, right? Um, it's not that, that whenever God is speaking through his people, he's speaking through his spirit, that, that those who are doing that are carried along, literally. <laughs> literally, that's what that means in Greek, literally. Pick up, carry along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's guiding them.
3: Mm-hmm. Thus and such. Yeah. So it's not I, Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Have a feeling that this is a good idea. That's right. It is, the Lord says mm-hmm. over, and mm-hmm. over, and mm-hmm. over and over and over
0: and yeah. over. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and very clearly and very importantly, if somebody says thus says the Lord and it doesn't come to pass, you're supposed to kill them. Um, so, uh, and that's it, it, we're not going to kill anybody today. Uh, but <laughs> but that is an important reminder, though. Um, actually. So a lot of times we're going to have confirmations. There might be time where, where, um, you know, the bishop might say, hey, if anybody has a word from the Lord. Do you have a word from the Lord, or do you have something nice to say? Those are very different things. So we want to be very careful when we say that we're speaking for the Lord. If I'm quoting scripture, I can say, okay, this is what God said, right? But if I'm trying to apply something to an individual, very careful that I'm not saying that God said this, right? If I believe that God is speaking to me and, and wants me to say this, Great but I better be sure, <laughs> right? Because the consequences in the old covenant where you kill that person, um, new covenant would probably just be disfellowship, get them out of there, right? Um, you're trying to speak for God and, and he's not speaking. But that's, I, that's actually really, really critical that we recognize that when God speaks and moves, good. Listen, obey, if God tells you to speak, you obey. If he doesn't, don't pretend like God's talking through you. Um, that's incredibly sinful, <laughs> right? To suggest that, oh, well, my ideas are God's ideas. Well, who, who are you, <laughs> right? Um, reminds me of the story in Acts where uh, there are these guys that are that are going around casting out demons in Jesus name and uh, they're successful with it for a while and eventually they get to a guy who's demon possessed and and, uh, and they're, they're going around saying we cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches um, they don't know anything about it right But they just know that there's power in Jesus name so this demon says well Paul I know and Jesus I know but who are you and they don't have an answer. And so Luke writes, they ran out of the building naked. <laughs> so again, when we try to appropriate these things and go, oh, well, let, me just, let me just grab the power of this, right? Or, or Simon the sorcerer in Acts, who sees, who sees that the apostles, again, going back to confirmation, he sees the apostles perform confirmation. He sees that the apostles lay hands on individuals who have been baptized and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Simon says well, can I pay you money? This is really cool. Can I pay you money? This is why that's called simony, um, right? Can I pay you money for this gift, right? Um, and, and they rebuke him immediately, right? No, get out of here, right? This is, this is not, you can't just appropriate God's power, right? God will work through whoever he wants to, but it's not on your terms. It's on his terms.
3: Those were the
0: sons of, what, it, Sceva? Sceva, I think, yeah, or Sceva. Yeah, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. S- S-
4: simony?
0: It's called Simony, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's named after Simon the Sorcerer, yeah. I think it's Acts 7. Uh, but you can look up Simon the Sorcerer. There's only one, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, any, any questions about that, about how the Holy Spirit speaks through his people? Okay. So we we'll also say that the Spirit is the, is the means for unity in the church, and this, is, this will be our hinge point where we start talking about the church, but, but starting off that we see in Ephesians 4, um, one of my favorite passages, uh, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So we see this unity that there's only one body, there's only one body of Christ, right? There aren't two, there aren't three, um, right? So when we, see, when we see the myriad of denominations, I think it's over 38,000, I forget what it is now. Um, there's a lot, um, that there's only one body of Christ, right? And so part of what we need to work that out, um, so we have all these differences and divisions, right? Paul talks about, in 1 in, in, uh, Corinthians, he goes so far as to say, you, you need to fight for agreement about everything. <laughs> he doesn't say essentials. He doesn't have categories of these are the essential things you need to agree about, and then here's the non-essentials. He says everything to, to the church at Corinth. <laughs> disagreed about almost everything. But he said, fight for that unity. Um, so that's what, when we, again, what we're trying to do when we're, when we're working within the church is to say, okay, is God speaking or am I speaking? Right. Spirit is the one that brings out about unity in the church, right? There's only one body and one spirit um, that we're called to that one hope and that God works works through these means, baptism being a sacrament, one of these ways that God works in and through us. Um, But the spirit is the one that works out unity in the church. Again, that we only believe in one church, right? So that's what we say in the Creed. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. There's only one church. So in John 17, Jesus prays, I ask not for these only. He's talking about his disciples that were there that he was praying with. not multiple ones. Um, I'll save for another discussion how you work out the denominational differences and and the one church stuff. Um, But uh, Father Michael McKinnon likes to say, uh, this is the one prayer that Jesus prays that we can answer. We can work for unity. Um, so that means having those conversations, having those discussions, the really tough ones that we don't want to have when you meet somebody that's a different denomination and you go, okay, well, let's not talk about that. No, that's not working for unity, <laughs> right? What does it mean for us to return to one church? There was only one church until 1054. And until the Reformation, there were only two churches, right? And now we're up to however many, right? But to say, okay, well, well just because Humpty Dumpty's broken, we've got the Holy Spirit, right? So we can put it back together again, uh, right? So, but that takes hard work. That takes, and that takes us desiring to actually see unity. Jesus prayed that we would be one are you willing to work towards answering that prayer? It's answerable, um, that we can be one even as he and the, and the Father are one, that our unity is actually found in knowing the Father and the Son and being obedient to them, right? So we're gonna lay down anything, right? So in my head, okay, easy, gone, right? Because unity is more important, right? Um, that it actually doesn't matter so much to me about those traditions, right? So that's just one example, right? But being able to say, okay, what is it, what actually are the things that we do need to agree about? so that we can be unified, so that we can work those things out, right? Even in our local congregations, we're gonna have disagreements about different things, right? Well, I don't like this song or that song, or I prefer this preaching, or I, I like this kind of way of doing things. Okay, but what's, what's actually gonna build up unity? And can you lay aside your rights, your preferences, so that we can be unified, um, right? Doesn't mean we allow for sinful things, right? Um, but that we wanna, we wanna make sure that, that we're working for unity Speaking of sinful things, we believe in one holy church. The church is called to be holy. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 talks about, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The church is called to be holy, right? So we don't tolerate, as a church, we can't tolerate unholiness. What's that word holy mean? We talked about that first session. Set apart. Set apart, yeah. Base level, different, right? Distinct, um, but yeah, particularly set apart, sanctified for a specific purpose. Um, So when we talk about the church being holy, that the church ought to be different from the world, right? Um, So when we see, pick your statistic of a bad thing. There's plenty of them, right? That That the world should, that we actually should look different and distinct from the world, right? Um and that part of that part of that is that we that we're part of working through that unity is actually working through holiness, right? So that we don't tolerate disunity, we don't tolerate sinfulness, right? So there's loving and appropriate ways of dealing with those things, right? Um but that but that the church is called to be holy. That just as God is holy, we're called to be holy. We're his representatives in the world. If we're not holy, we can't represent him, right? Isaiah knew that, right? We saw in that in that early passage, right? We looked at Isaiah 6. Um, right? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among, among people of unclean lips, right? Immediately, he, oh, I'm sinful. I shouldn't be here, right? Uh, when Peter has a miraculous catch of fish, depart from me, Lord, from a sinful man. Fish made him realize that he was sinful, right? <laughs> How often do we overlook our sins? How often do we overlook the sins of our, of our brothers and sisters and go, oh, I'm just going to tolerate that. Got to be holy. That's
3: what so many churches
0: are doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's... But, either conform to society or, or realistically more often than not. Uh, that's happening a lot too, but I, think, but I think the more insidious thing is is uh, that's pretty obvious, pretty easy to catch. Uh, it's when you tolerate the sin of your brother and you don't love him enough to point it out. right? A lot of times we'll read when Jesus talks about uh, take out the log that's in your own eye before you take out your brother's speck. He tells you to take out the speck in your brother's eye. He just tells you to take care of the giant log that's in yours first. It's not don't judge at all, right? Jesus even says... Don't, uh, that the measure with which you judge, you will be judged also. It's about having this equal level, right? Don't hold people to different standards, right? But when we talk about the law, it's in your own eye. Take it out so you can help your brother with the spec, right? But a lot of times we just go, oh, well, I'm not supposed to judge anybody. I'm not supposed to help them with anything. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just, I'm by myself now, right? I don't have anybody. <laughs> Rather than saying, oh, I actually need to love my neighbor. If I see somebody that needs correction, I need to lovingly have a conversation, right? I'm not mean. I don't beat them over their head, right? But that I go, hey, you know what? I saw this and, and what's going on here? Um, to lovingly correct one another so that we can be holy, so that we can together offer God the worship that he deserves, right? This is why we pass the peace, right? Are you mad at somebody? Make peace with them, right? Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar if you are not at peace with somebody, right? So the way that we would understand that is if you are not at peace with someone, don't receive communion. Don't unite yourself with God if you can't unite yourself with one another. You can't, John says, you cannot say that you love God and hate your brother. You've got to work that out. If you hate your brother, you hate God. They're connected, right? This, this love that we have for one another has to, and that we have for God has to work out all altogether. Um, so part of that is, yeah, we're called to be holy. We're called to cast out sinful things, right? Again, not in a harsh way, but because we love one another, we want to make sure that we're doing well. We want to make sure that, that we're all on the same page. Does that make sense? Cool. Everybody ready to have a lot of hard conversations with people? <laughs> So we say we believe in one church. We say that the church should be holy, is holy. We say that we believe in a Catholic church. So the word Catholic means according to the whole. It comes from two Greek words, kata and holos. Kata just means according to. If you were to go read any uh, Greek copy of a gospel, it'll say kata, Mark, kata, Matthew, kata, John. Kata just means according to. Holos just means whole. Um, right? So when we talk about the, ca- the, the church being Catholic, we mean that it's according to the whole. Sometimes you'll see people say universal. That's become a very common way to talk about it. It really doesn't mean universal. There's a word in Latin and Greek for universal, and it's not Catholic. <laughs> so to be able to look at that and go, okay, what, what are they, in fact, in the, in, the, in the Western church, right? The Western church after the split, they say, we are the Roman. So the Pope is ahead, right? The Bishop of Rome, Catholic, according to the whole. They use a Greek word.
2: Concept from
0: universal or universal. I th- I think it's from a an attempt to oversimplify what it means, um, to go, okay, let's. I have one word, let me switch it with another word. I think that's what it is, because it's, it's a lot more complicated to explain according to the whole and even what that means, um, and people don't want to so spend I think the time.
3: I think that would be a better term, though, than universal. Part, part of yes. The- Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a tendency to substitute universal or mm-hmm. Christian mm-hmm. or something like that for Catholic so that that there is no taint of Rome about No them. association at all. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Which is insane. <laughs> <There isn't really. laughs> and here, here's the deal. The, the 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 way that the word so you won't see that you won't find the word Catholic in scriptures, it's not there. Um, but what happens through history um, is you have the church, and then you have all these other groups, right? So we talked about this a little bit in one of the earlier sessions that, you know, you have this resurrection event, and lots of people are talking about it in different ways, right? So one group says, well, Jesus was a 100-foot angel. One group says, well, he was the Messiah, but he was just human. One group says, "He he was just divine. He only appeared to be human. He didn't even leave footsteps. All kinds of different interpretations about who Jesus is, what this event meant, right? And so you have the church, right? Those who are tied to the apostles. And then you have all these other groups. And so the way that the church talked about this is you are either Catholic, your faith is according to the whole church, or you're a heretic. And heretic just comes from the Greek word to choose. Either you pick and choose the bits that you like or you receive the whole faith, right? So this is the way that it talks about it, right? So like Jude hints at this, right? In Jude three, he says, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to, uh, to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So that this faith that we belong to, this faith that we believe in, uh, that it's, it's once for all delivered to us. There's only, there's only one proper understanding of it, right? And so the way that the church began to talk about it is that we talked about the Catholic church whose faith is according to the whole thing as it's passed on. I don't pick and choose the bits that I like, right? So if I don't like that Jesus was born of a virgin because I don't like having that conversation, I don't get to throw it out, <laughs> right? I don't get to pick the parts that I'm comfortable with. I'm fine with all these laws about, you know, and rules about how you ought to act, but I really like to gossip, so I'm going to throw that part out. You don't get to pick and choose, um, right? So you receive the whole faith, whereas the heretics are the ones that are choosing to go along their own route. Does that, does that make sense? So, um, but that's, that's actually important because when we, when we shift over to talking about what we mean by apostolic, sometimes when people go Catholic, well, it just means kind of like the universal church, and apostolic just kind of means that we're tied to the apostles. It's very loose definitions. So actually going to, okay, what do the words actually mean, and then how did the church use them, right? So when we say Catholic, what we're saying is that the church believes the entire faith that was passed down. We don't pick and choose the parts that we like. That Turns out, yeah.
3: <laughs> When did they start calling themselves Roman
0: Catholic? You don't see a distinction of Roman Catholic until uh, after the split in 1054. Um, yeah. When did they 1054. start Catholic? Uh, By the second century. Yeah. yeah, certainly by the third, yeah. You have it far more uh, is used. Is it Greek word? Yep, it's Greek, yeah. I remember everybody, pretty much everybody speaking Greek until like the fourth or fifth century, then the Roman Empire switches to Latin. Um, so.
2: I did several years ago the uh, word we Catholic, we, apparently the Protestant churches were using it, the, the Catholic Baptist church or the Catholic mm-hmm. Baptist church, mm-hmm. and they finally dropped it, mm-hmm. which left the Roman Catholic church.
0: You'll see if, yeah, like if you talk to an Orthodox person, they'll talk, they'll say that they are the Catholic Church. They'll, yeah, so, and it's, and it's a mess of these distinctions that happen because of the split. That's the real, so in the West, what they did after the, after the split happened in the West, they said, well, we're the, we're the Roman Catholic Church, so our, our head of our churches is, is the Bishop of Rome, and we're Catholic, we have the whole faith. In the East, they said, well, we're, we're Eastern Orthodox, right? So we're in the East, right? Notice, there's not a specific Bishop, right? They're not, they're not the Constantinopolitan Church, right? because they're ecumenical. They believe that all the bishops decide on the faith, that the Bishop of Rome does have a position of um, higher honor, but that he doesn't run the church, Um, that there are certain bishops that have higher honor and higher authority, right? So Constantinople, you're going to have the archbishop, right? Um, But that the bishops work together. You don't have just one head of the church, that Jesus is actually the head of the church, and the bishops serve him all together, that they work unified, right? So you have Eastern, We're we're in the East, And then orthodox, which just means right worship or right glory, right praise, right? So in the West, you've got the whole faith. And in the East, you've got the right worship. Which one do you pick, right? Uh, Just don't split and you don't have a problem. (laughs) There are Western right orthodox. Um, So in fact, many of them use the Book of Common Prayer um, edited to fit orthodox theology. Um, yep. Yep, but you can find them. Yep, they're out there. You'll see them. Yeah, and same thing, you'll, see, you'll hear reference to Eastern Catholic churches um, that are in the East but tied to Rome, yep. So we believe that the church is Catholic. So again, when we say that, we've received the whole faith. I don't get to pick and choose um, the bits that I like. And we also believe that the church is apostolic. So Paul writes in Ephesians 2, through Jesus, we, ha- we both uh, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. One note, all the heavy Trinitarian language, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit working out the salvation of his people in this text. Uh, It's all over the Uh, but, uh, so note that, but also that the foundation of this is the apostles and the prophets, right? When you see, when you see Paul talking about the offices, um, that are in the church, you'll see him reference apostles often. Um, and so when we talk about what do we mean when we say that we believe in an apostolic church, why, why does apostolic matter, right? What do we mean by that? What we see in the scriptures is that the apostles had special authority. They were distinct from the rest of the disciples, right? They're clearly called out from the rest of the disciples, um, so for example, after Judas um, has killed himself um, in Acts, you see them electing somebody else to the office of apostle, right? And they have qualifications for who they're, who they're looking for to be an apostle, right? But they elect somebody to that office. They don't just say, well, we're all apostles. No, that's a special office. And we see Jesus giving the, his apostles special authority. Um, we actually just read this passage uh, when Jason preached, so just a few weeks ago. Um, But Jesus appears to them in the upper room, um, and Jesus says to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Apostle means sent one, right? So Jesus is our chief apostle, and he's the one that is now sending his specific disciples, who are now elevated to be apostles. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus had told them this before. If you go read Matthew 18, he says, if you forgive anybody's sins, they're forgiven. If you, if you don't, and he, gives this, uh, he says the same thing to Peter in Matthew 16. Um, but again, it's to the apostles. It's not to everyone, right? This is a special authority that's given to them. Um, that he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. Why? They're being appointed for this special task, um, right? That they have this authority to bind and loose or to forgive sins or not forgive sins. So this raises the question, if the apostles had this special authority that was given to them by Jesus, where is this authority today? Well,
2: it's been, in the understanding, understand, been handed down
1: from
0: the apostles on down to the bishops, bishop, mm-hmm. to bishop, to bishop, to bishop. That's right. That's right. So we see in 1 Timothy 4, Paul talks about, uh, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Remember, public reading of Scripture, people didn't have copies of Scripture. Nobody had their own Bible, right? If you want to hear the Word of God, you have to come and you have to hear because most of you can't read. Um, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders or presbyters or priests laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pretty high language, persist in these things and you will save both yourself and your hearers, right? Why? He's given this gift, he talks about this laying on of hands. When Paul gives the, gives the requirements for deacons and uh, bishops to Titus and to Timothy, he says, don't, don't lay hands on somebody, on somebody quickly. It's this reference to the apostles, they lay hands on people so they receive the Holy Spirit, right? but this elevation to office of bishop, episkopos um, in Greek, um, but bishop is how we um, get it, I think through the German and English. Um, but this special office of the successors of the apostles. This is really important, partic- I would say when you're talking to your Protestant friends, um, your evangelical friends, um, anybody who's, who's, who doesn't have bishops, uh, your, your Mormon friends, your Jehovah's Witnesses friends, all of them, my evangelical friends don't like when I say this, but all of them basically have the same narrative that the church fell away and we had to fix it, right? Some Anglicans even do that. They start Anglican history with Henry VIII as though there wasn't a church in England before Henry. (laughs) Right? But it was there the whole time. In fact, when East and West split, the church in England is loyal to the East. They're actually in communion with the East, not with Rome. The the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, sends an army um, and gets rid of all their bishops and replaces them with those that are loyal to the Pope. That's why you have England become Catholic, um, Roman Catholic. One thing
2: I've understood is Concept that been handed down to me: once you have been ordained through the apostolic succession, mm-hmm. that regardless of your behavior, you're still having authority. Of
0: that regardless, authority. yeah, that reg- yeah. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, so that comes from. So the idea that I'm just repeating it because we're recording. Um, so <laughs> the idea that uh, that yeah, if a if a bishop misbehaves or is wrong, that he's still able to perform the sacraments. It actually, comes from the Docetist controversy, which happened during Augustine's time, um, where you had a bunch of heretics. And so they said, well, uh, we're going we're to regard them as heretics, right? So we're going to push them out of the church. But what does that mean for the people that were baptized by them, who received communion, um, who were confirmed by them? Were those sacraments invalidated? And so what the church said is they said, well, no, what the priest is doing, this is where the, the Roman Catholic Church talks about how a priest is acting um, in, what is it, in Christus Capitus, I think is what it is. But uh, he's acting in the person of Christ who is the head of the church. It's so this idea that when the priest does anything, he if, he's, if he's blessing somebody, if he's declaring absolution, if he's um, uh, celebrating communion and blessing the elements, all of that, by the way, he does, uh, a priest does through the authority of a bishop. Originally, priests could not celebrate communion. They could not forgive sins because bishops alone are given that power. Bishops alone are given that authority, right? So as the church spreads and goes crazy, that authority is then delegated down to the priest, but it's only through the, through the bishops that they're able to do that. Um, but what you see is, okay, well, how do we deal with all these people that, in theory, should have received the sacraments, right? Do we say that those were invalid? And they said, well, no, Christ is acting through the office of that person, not the individual. Um, so that's the distinction that they make. One well, of the first
2: ones I remember, <laughs> this is going back a long time, Bishop Pike, mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. And they never did, I don't think they ever did defronking. I don't I don't,
0: remember. I don't think they did, no.
2: They, they said, you can't operate. <laughs> yeah. You're not taking your...
0: Yeah, I don't think they ever. Yeah, I don't think they did. Yeah, it's pretty rare that that happens realistically. Unfortunately.
3: So, Ron, I always thought uh, somebody that is a Protestant is anybody that's not a Catholic or a Roman Catholic. Right. Yeah. Are we are we considered Protestant then
0: or not? Depends on where you start your history. <laughs> well, definition. Yeah. So so yeah. Here, here's the reality: uh, the bishop of Rome. Uh, doesn't recognize us as a, as, right, they, they would say that the, they recognize the bishops of the Eastern Orthodox Church, they don't recognize our bishops, um, but we never, we never said we're cutting off from Rome.
4: Why don't they recognize us? Uh,
0: because we said that the Pope is not the head of the church. We said the Pope does not have jurisdiction in the realm of England, um, is what happened. Um, so it was a shift, you'd had these shifts happen through history, um, but the Pope, over time, began to take more and more authority. This was what, this, 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 that was the big thing that led to the split, not the creed. The creed was important, it was just, but it was just another sign of the pope authorizing that. Um, so in fact, if you go through and read the canons of the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Chalcedon, they talk about how the pope has um, uh, equal authority to the bishop in Constantinople. Um, so the, the, they're, they're trying to balance all these honors, right? Cause you have this massive Roman empire. So you've got Rome all the way over here. You've got Constantinople all the way over here. Eventually you have the two emperors, right? There's all this political stuff that's happening at the same time, but you have this division of power. Over time, the Pope begins to accrue more and more power and basically say, that he's trying to become the head of the church, right? I would argue Jesus said, you see the Gentiles, they, they lord over one another, not so with you. To be first, if you wanna be first, you must be last, right? You must be a servant if you wanna, if you wanna actually be in the kingdom and, and lead in the kingdom. The Pope didn't do that. The Pope sent armies to go take over England. Um, So so loosely, are Anglicans Protestant? Yes, in that we protest the idea that the the Pope is the head of the church. No, in that really our history does not begin with the Reformation. There is a church in England. Um, In fact, England has been recognized as one of the, the English church, is recognized as one of the oldest, if not the oldest church off the continent. one of the popes, I forget, sent um, Augustine of Canterbury, um, not Augustine of Hippo, uh, to go evangelize in England because they thought that, that Christian had been reached there. He showed up there and there was a church <laughs> with a liturgy, with bishops. Um, in fact, England sent bishops to some of the uh, early synods and councils. Um, so there was a church there. There's legend that Joseph of Arimathea was the one that first brought uh, Christianity there. We don't know who actually did, but the faith was there. Um, and so. The Pope sent him back, and he said, "Well, I'll just fix a couple things." They were upset because we used English, um, so <laughs> you know, little things like that. But, um, but yeah, the church. So it depends on where you begin your history. A lot of Anglicans start with Henry VIII. Then I go, "Okay, but but where was the church before?" Oh, it was already there. So um, what you see there is actually a split in terms of who's running things, who's who's the head of the church. Um.
3: That was a better question than I thought. He never <laughs> actually just nationalized the church. He didn't really. Uh...
0: Yeah. No, he was, he was, in fact, the Pope gave him the title Defender of the Faith. Uh, so <laughs> so. It was,
3: it's more about the power of the Pope than it was about Henry's marriage problems.
0: It was about Henry's marriage problems, but it's about who, can, who has the authority to deal with those marriage problems. So he wants an heir, he can't get an heir, um, and so he wants to annul the marriage. The Pope would have done that, except for the Pope was um, under...
3: Under the gun. Yeah. <laughs> he was being
0: held by uh, the French king and France and England. Don't get along. Uh, so the Pope would have normally done that. And in fact, it they were. It
3: was the Spanish king at the time. Oh, was the Spanish, okay. it was his sister. <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. It's <laughs> all this messy politics stuff, <laughs> yeah. It gets really, which makes it hard to talk about. And that, but that's, so, f- from, so there's two reasons why I think it's bad to start your history there, though. Uh, one is Henry wasn't the head, he just nationalized the church. And really all he was doing was saying, the Pope isn't the head of the church, I'm the head of the church.
1: It's like your geneal- genealogy. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to say who laid hands on you, who laid right. hands on him, mm-hmm. back to the beginning. Yep. And that's, you know, the Pope can do that. Mm-hmm. And then our Anglican line mm-hmm. actually has a split. Mm-hmm. The way I look at it, it's split, but it's
3: still connected to that
0: yep. Oh, yeah. chain. Yep, it absolutely is. Yep.
3: Not only that, but every priest and deacon and actually every lay person has yes. had... Mm-hmm. On Absolutely. They go all the way back to the apostles. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yes. Every, 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 every confirmed, confirmed person. Every confirmed.
1: Confirm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Which remember, in the early church, wasn't a separate rite. When you were baptized, you were confirmed the same day. Um, the bishop did it all. Uh, it was all one one thing. And that's what they still do in the Eastern Church. In the West, they started splitting it out because Western people are bad. Um, so, but. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we get things wrong sometimes. We add to the creed. We have a pope. Yeah, uh, yeah. We have we have some things to fix. The Eastern Church has some things to fix too. So, um, but but yeah. So what we see basically right is that this apostolic authority is passed on to others, right? So this ap- and, and the key here, um, this will become become important later. But one of the, one of the key things that I think is sometimes underemphasized, and that I'm trying to emphasize here, is that the ministry and authority that the apostles had needs to continue. Right? The church needs apostles, right? That's why they're, like, the apostles and prophets are the, are, the, are the foundation of the church, right? Their ministry needs to continue. Me being able to show up to church if I rightly confess my sins, right? If I'm, if I'm being fully disclosed and if I repent, right? When I, when I want forgiveness from God, that doesn't just mean I say I'm sorry and have no intent of changing my mind, right? Changing the way that I'm acting. If I'm truly penitent, then I receive absolution, right? I receive confirmation that I have actually been forgiven of my sins through the priest, through the authority of the bishop, going back to the apostles who were given that special authority. That's actually a ministry that I need. I need that assurance that I've been forgiven, um, that God works through his people. Um, But uh, but more than this, that they have this authority, right? So when we see controversies arise in the early church, the Judaizer controversy being the, the primary one that I would want to point to in Acts 15, the apostles gather to decide the issue They hear from other people, right? The Judaizers are there representing their case and and Paul's there representing his case with Barnabas, right? But the apostles are the ones that make the decision. Um, They are the ones, right? And so we see this continuing through the church. So for example, when all these churches say that they believe in the Nicene Creed, they don't believe this part, (laughs) realistically, right? They don't believe that the church is, is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Right. This is why it's critical that when we look at the faith that's passed on, right, that the bishops, they came together when they were battling against Arianism. They said, this is the faith. This is the faith of the church. If you want to go do something else, that's fine. But you're not part of the one holy Catholic apostolic church. Um, so noting that the apostolic authority and their mission is important. Um, but again, this was also tied to when we're talking about the Catholic church and the heretics, one of the distinctions was uh, that Irenaeus would talk about um, is he talked about how uh, he was writing against, it's called against heresies, he was writing against the Gnostics in particular. And so for the first section, he talks about all the different things that they believe and how crazy they are. And then he talks about how you can refute these ideas with scripture. But then he says, but they will often say, well, this passage is confusing or we understand it a different way. So how do you respond to them? If they don't, if they won't listen to you, if you go to the scriptures, he says, the way that you respond to them is that you say that we have our bishops going back to the apostles and they did not know the things that you're talking about. And he says, we can list all these bishops going back, and these ideas that you guys are presenting don't exist in any of the churches that actually have bishops going back to the apostles. So this idea that you have a bishop that goes back to the apostles, that the bishop's job, one of their jobs, is to safeguard the faith that was once handed down to the saints. That's part of it, right? So even Timothy, right? If you, if you maintain these things, you will save yourselves and your hearers, right? It's their job, right? So for us, it's Bishop Keith's job to make sure that we stay in the faith. He's been responsible. He's the shepherd. Jesus is ultimately the shepherd of our souls, right? But that Bishop Keith has been placed as a shepherd over us um, to maintain that. That's his job. So Irenaeus writes, it is within the power of all, therefore, in every church who may wish to see the truth, to, uh, to contemplate clearly the tradition of the apostles, their teaching, manifested throughout the whole world. And we are in a position to reckon up those who were, by the apostles, instituted bishops in the churches, and to demonstrate the succession of these men to our own times, those who neither taught nor knew of anything like what these heretics rave about. So again, this is a distinction. So when we talk, I was starting to say, and we talk to, again, our, our evangelical friends, who say the church kind of fell away and we had to fix it, or even more uh, overtly, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who say there was an apostasy and the church ceased to exist, and God had to restore it through the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Joseph Smith, insert prophet that needed to show up on the scene later. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So who do I believe, Joseph Smith or Jesus? <laughs> Did the church really fall away, right? Joseph goes so far to say in his vision anyway that all their creeds are an abomination to God and all, their, all the, those who believe in them are corrupt. Now, if you talk to a more missionary today, they'll talk about, well, you know, we believe all the same thing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, your prophet said that my creed is an abomination before God. So if what I believe is an abomination before God, either I'm not safe with God or abomination doesn't mean anything, (laughs) right? But that's our starting point, right? And that's a wonderful starting point. And again, Anglicans are particularly well poised to actually talk about these things. Um, When we talk about like, okay, well, well, again, what Irenaeus talks about, you read the Bible this way and I read it this way. How do we know it's true? what is the faith that was passed down by the whole church, right? So when I'm preaching and I'm looking at a passage and I go, I don't really know what this means, let me, let me look it up. I don't tend to go to modern commentaries, not that they aren't valuable, not that they're not helpful. I go to the church fathers, as many as I can possibly find, and when everybody has a different opinion than me, I assume I'm wrong, <laughs> even if I'm not sure why, right? I may not have worked it out yet, right? I just assume that they had more time, right? And, and, and nine times out of 10, I go, oh, yeah, okay, I get what they're getting at, right? But again, when they're unanimous, if there's lots of disagreement, then I go, okay, let me just pick pick one, and that's okay, right? That's there. There is no cohesive decision, right? But
1: have a
0: dogmatic yeah, yeah. If the church hasn't been dogmatic about it in the past, right? So, for example, with the creed, right? That's very dogmatic, right? Those who don't believe this, they are anathema. They're cut off from the church. Okay, so I have to. These are my boundaries, right? I have to work within there. But when the church hasn't been that way, or if there's debate or, or different views or whatever, then I go, okay. So I can, I can. Be, be a little bit, have a little bit of wiggle room here. This isn't something that we're really tied down on. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. What does it mean that we are in position to reckon those? Basically saying he, he, that we have lists of bishops going back to the apostles, um, and he and he does that for Rome. Um, eventually, uh, later on in that chapter, he actually lists the bishops um, going back to Peter in Rome. Yeah. Against heresies, yeah. Uh, so Irenaeus was um, bishop of uh, Lyons, I think. Um, no, this is not in the Bible. It's not the Bible, this is a not bishop speaking. This is a bishop speaking in the third century. Yep, not in the Bible. Uh, book three, chapter three, section one. Uh, against heresies. So you can go pick this up, I've got a copy, or you can read it for free on New Advent lots of places. You can go read the whole thing, it's long. Um, But uh, section three is where he gets to this point where he talks about apostolic succession and why this matters when we're talking to all these other groups. Again, remember, there's all kinds of other groups. He's dealing with the Gnostics in particular, but there's all kinds of other groups. So how do we respond, right? And and when the church actually dealt with this issue um, regarding the Nicene Creed, and okay, how how do we understand... Um, how we talk about Jesus. They looked at what the fathers had said, right? What's been the faith that's been passed down? How have we talked about this? Um, And this this, this is how we we work through this, right? We don't forget what's happened before us, Um, right? So so when we we understand, right, it's, it's not that modern thinkers are bad, right? Again, plenty of great, wonderful, modern commentaries. But if I want to know what the church has always believed, unless they're going to tell me about that, most of them don't then I want to go see. Well, how, how is the church as much as I'm able to find, and there are resources to do this. What what have the fathers said before um, the bishops that passed on the faith? How did they understand these things? Because I'm going to assume that somebody that's closer to Jesus probably knew Greek better than any modern commentator, right? Because <laughs> they actually spoke it, um, right? So they might understand these things a little better. They might pick up on some nuances of the text that maybe we've we've missed out on. Um, but again, that when we say that we believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, this apostolic, we're talking about the apostles, their authority and their ministry continuing to this day. And remember, bishops are writing this, right? So this is what they're talking about. They're not saying that we just believe the same thing as the apostles. If they wanted to say that, they already did when they said Catholic. This is why it's important that we work out what these words mean, right? So are they saying we believe, you know, the church is only one, it's holy, it believes what the apostles believe, and it believes what the apostles believe. Well, that'd be weird, right? They're actually saying different things, though. that's why we need to work with Catholic. It's the whole faith that's been passed down and it's apostolic, the ministry and authority of the apostles continues to this day through the bishops. Any questions about that? How
3: many bishops are there? A
0: lot, <laughs> probably thousands, yeah. In the U.S., at least in the Roman Catholic Church, I think there's around 300. Um, I'm not sure how many in the ACNA because sometimes you get new ones, yeah, not that many.
1: some small ones, San Joaquin Valley, there's the Oregon that's all by itself. Oregon on its own, yep. And then there's, like, when you get back east, it's the Diocese of Boston, right? It's you know, it's more like the Catholic, it's a little tiny things. Yep, place. yep, there's a lot more of them, yeah. A, and there's a bishop for every one of those. Mm-hmm. But then you, you didn't connect with all the ones, you know, in Africa, that are under that same. You just in the, uh, you know, the, the,
2: the church. church.
1: Huh?
2: You get away from the ACNA.
1: Yeah, you Then
2: you got all
4: the others. Yeah, all the other bishops. Yeah, Canadians. So so all the Roman, Roman
2: Catholic,
3: Catholic
2: mm-hmm. bishops.
4: All the Anglican
3: bishops. All the mm-hmm. Eastern Orthodox mm-hmm. bishops. Yeah, yeah. bishops. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. It's and, a tight. And Lutheran bishops also because yeah, there are uh, some. They, When they reestablished bishops, even in the uh, less orthodox Lutheran churches, they actually laid hands from the, uh, the Swedish bishops mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. continued on from. <coughs>
0: Yeah, so there are Lutherans. And there's also the oh, what's it
3: Episcopalian.
0: There's Episcopalian, and they do have apostolic succession. Have apostolic succession. Yep. What
3: about yeah. Methodists? Do they have bishops, and are they... I don't think so. No. I think some, I think they have
0: some do. I don't think they're in apostolic succession, though. Yeah. Um, so they have bishops. And same thing if you, if you look at some uh, uh, Pentecostal churches. They'll have a title of bishop, but they're not in apostolic succession. Okay. Yep, you'll see You'll see people say that I'm I'm bishops. So, like, I think actually Bishop T.D. Jakes is a popular one, yeah. not an Apostolic Succession.
3: It's an authority, not a... just uh, the a title, a, yeah. Uh, well, you know, the succession. Mm-hmm. They go back to the the uh, Acts and say, well, you know, they're just bishops and, mm-hmm. and deacons, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that's the, there job. are certain Grace. denominations like that. Every, mm-hmm. every good-sized church has a bishop, sometimes two. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Is
3: there any difference in terms for an apostolic bishop
2: versus
0: a non-apostolic No, they'll all be called bishops. That's why you have to find out what they actually mean. Yeah. So, again, definition of terms is really important. right? Somebody says, oh, I believe Jesus is God. Well, what do you mean? Well,
1: in some cases, <laughs> you know? what they wear does, does tell something. But
0: yes. So, sometimes, yeah, so in the not Western, not Western tradition, generally, our, our bishops and Catholic bishops will tend to wear purple um, Generally, people that are in the Anglican, Lutheran, Catholic, uh, Episcopalian, or even Orthodox will wear collars, although that actually began with Protestants, and it's just that more liturgical groups kept it over time, but actually began with Protestant groups to wear collars. Um, and they're not that old, they're like 200 years old. Yep, so uh, all kinds of weird stuff with that. But, that's, but, that's, so, but again, when we're, when we're looking at the creed saying, okay, so, so what, are we, what are we using these words to mean um, and why does this matter, right, so hopefully it gives a better, better picture of, okay, so when I'm talking to somebody who, you know, comes, comes knocking on my door and says, hey, have you heard, heard the good news or whatever, and they say, well, the you know, well, we believe that the church fell into apostasy and we had to restore it, right, We well, can say, well, actually, my bishop just visited, <laughs> right, and he had hands laid on him <laughs> going back to the apostles, right, and Jesus said that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church, so how do you reconcile that, right, most people are completely unaware of it, and most Anglicans are not well positioned, to do, but like we're, actually, we're actually the best position to do that, along with Catholics and Orthodox, to say, hey, actually, the church continued. Um, this history exists. You can, you can go see the lists um, in terms of this apostolic authority and ministry being passed on. Um, and that's your best defense, right? Not saying, well, we started over too, and ours is a little bit better than yours. No, <laughs> the gates of hell didn't prevail against this church. It still is existing, um, so. One of the last things that the, that the creed talks about is, is uh, one baptism for the remission of sins. This is basically a quotation from Acts chapter two. Um, so Peter has given his, uh, he's preached out to the crowds there at Pentecost. You have the uh, Holy Spirit has fallen on the uh, on the whole church at this point. Um, people are speaking in tongues. Um, this seems to be a distinct manifestation of tongues where they're speaking and everyone, everyone is able to hear uh, in their own language um, what's going on. So that, uh, so that, Peter and the other apostles can actually proclaim the word of God, and everyone can hear and understand them. Um, and so Peter proclaims the gospel. He, sa- he says, you know, God sent his son. You killed him. He's uh, not very tactful. Uh, you killed him. <laughs> uh, but God raised him up. Um, and so when he, ge- when he tells them the gospel, that, there's your good news. Um, again, not mincing words. Uh, it says, uh, now that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So they recognize that they've they've heard this good news, right? They've heard this gospel. They know they need to do something. What do I do? How do I become a Christian? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how you become a Christian. This is how you become a member of the church. That through baptism we receive forgiveness of sins. Is that... Make sense with everybody? So Peter expands on this idea in 1 Peter 3. He says, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God through a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Note a few things here. One, look at how he reads his Old Testament. Every early Christian read their Old Testament and looked for Jesus all over the place. Right? Baptism corresponds to the flood um, and the means by which Noah and his family were saved. Corresponds to this. In the same way that God redeemed them and saved them from his judgment and destruction and from sin. Baptism corresponds to this. And he goes so far as to say, now saves you. This is the means by which God saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. That's not what, what's primarily happening there, right? What's happening there is that God is working through physical means to bring about our salvation, right? All of our understanding of this, but we're only gonna talk about baptism we won't talk about communion because the creed doesn't talk about it. Um, but the Catholic, not Roman, Catholic way of understanding um, the sacraments um, by our understanding of the scriptures is to, recognize, is to look at these things through the lens of the incarnation. God brought about the redemption and salvation of the world by his son taking on human flesh. In the same way, God continues to meet out and work out our salvation through physical means. God works through the actual physical creation. He's not abandoning it, but in fact, he's working through it to redeem us, um, to save us. So that through baptism, we can say that we're saved. So in our catechism, we say that uh, generally, um, that baptism is necessary for salvation. Sometimes as I'm having conversations with people, I'll I'll point to these texts and I'll say, look, these texts seem to be pretty clear, right? Through baptism, you receive forgiveness of sins. Um, Peter says it saves you. Sometimes people will say, well, did Jesus say anything about it? Like his apostles aren't a good enough authority? Yeah, he did. Um, So we can look at those texts too, but you should believe Peter. Um, But Jesus says in John 3, when he's meeting with Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is looking ahead to baptism, right? He hasn't instituted baptism yet. He will do that um, before he ascends, right? Um, But uh, saying that you must be born of water and the spirit, right? Now remember, we say that we believe in how many baptisms? One baptism, right? So he's referring to one that, right, but being born of water in their spirit. Now think back to what Peter says in Acts. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ in, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, right? So that generally what we see doing, uh, happening through the sacraments is that uh, at baptism, that's when you become a Christian and you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the early church, this was all one thing. If the apostles were there, you were baptized and you were, you were confirmed. They wouldn't call it confirmation. They'd call it chrismation they don't anoint you with oil and lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen all the time. So there's times where somebody's baptized and immediately they receive the Holy Spirit. This happens to Paul. There's other times where, for example, Philip, the deacon, goes and baptizes uh, Samaritans, and then he calls for the apostles to come down so that they can lay hands on them, right? This is an apostolic ministry. Only apostles can confer the Holy Spirit on people. Can God work outside of those means? Yes, when we get to Acts chapter 10, and Peter proclaims the gospel to the Gentiles, The Gentiles believe, but Peter's so hesitant because he's so used to, hey, they're different, they're distinct, right? He had just received this vision three times of unclean foods coming down and the Lord tells him kill and eat. And he says, I've never touched anything unclean in my life. He receives this vision ahead of time because he's gonna go proclaim the gospels to the Gentiles. But he's hesitant, so what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them anyway. And then he says, well, what prohibits us from baptizing them, right? But the clear connection in all these order uh, with the order of things is that baptism is connected with the Spirit. This is that when it's separate from that, If you haven't received christian baptism then an apostle uh, or if you have but you haven't had an apostle there or a bishop there the bishop will then confirm you and you receive the holy spirit this is the general way that you see this working through the scriptures Um, but all that to say is that when we say in the creed we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins that god is using baptism he's using physical means to work at our salvation just like jesus took on flesh became a real human being Worked out our salvation through that. That's the same way that we view the sacraments, that God's using these physical means as a means of grace so that we can receive salvation. <coughs> Questions about that?
1: It's taken me a long time.
0: I, I'm seeing your wheels turning, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Typical Baptist, you know.
0: Yeah, more evangelical view, yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm getting closer.
4: Yeah. I, this really has been very helpful. Good, good. I understand that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think, I th- for me, the transition was um, still going to evangelical churches, um, or a church, I was just going to one, um, and I'd read passages like Acts 2, and I'd go, you, we don't believe this. <laughs> yeah, but, but they rightly taught believe. me that I should believe the Bible. Right. They did that part right? Right. But then when we got to these different passages, it seemed so clear to me. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And I'm going, I, I don't know what else that's talking about. Yeah. You can't really argue with that. No. And then when you go and you look at, well, how did the early church understand this? <laughs> this is what they said, right? So it uh, turns out they just they said what the Bible believed, right? So that's, and we want to try and be consistent. And that's, and that's, by the way, that's a way to work for unity. It's not a way to have a fight and feel like you're smarter than somebody else. But it's a way to work for unity to say, hey, I, I know you guys want to believe the Bible. So why do you disagree with this text that seems really clear and then this text that seems really clear, right? Where Paul talks about we've been washed with the waters of regeneration. Why, why do we have all these references to water and baptism as the means of, us, of God saving us? Doesn't mean that God can't work outside of that, right? Doesn't mean that, but that this is, this is the normative way that God works out his salvation through his church. And this is the way that you enter t- into the church. But this is the way that you enter into the new covenant through baptism. Um, any other questions about it?
2: <laughs> I'm not telling, they're using the term water but mm-hmm. actually water or being born from the, woman to the water
0: That's a that's a uh, a lot of modern commentators that are opposed to the idea that baptism saves you will say that yeah that that Jesus is maybe talking about amniotic fluid so <laughs> it's,
2: not it's not water yeah Mikvahs, <laughs> <not
0: water>.
2: yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And what you, what you actually see, so uh, the early disciples are, are, are drawing from this and John draws from this, right? So the mikvahs exist, right? They're, they're already using them for the cleansing rituals. You see, you see Jews get upset at Jesus because he doesn't wash his hands. They're not saying that his hands were dirty. He didn't ceremonially cleanse his hands before he eats. This is a tradition, right? John the Baptist takes this and others had done it before him, right? But he takes this idea and says, hey, be baptized be, be for, the, for the remission of your sins. He uses the exact same language. The difference being when you get to the book of Acts, Um, I think it's like Acts 17, I can look it up later, but uh, Paul runs into um, a group of individuals who say that they um, are Christians. And so he asks them if they have uh, received the Holy Spirit. And they say, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Now that tells Paul something very important, right? Why does he ask that question? Well, if he asks that question, that tells him two things. One, have you had an apostle lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit? Two, have you received Christian baptism? Why? Christian baptism is in the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They said, no, we only receive the baptism of John. So then he baptizes them and he lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so this is, this is the way that we see God working through that. So it's, yes, so you will see some modern commentators, particularly if they're of the persuasion that baptism does not save you, and they'll say, Jesus is talking about being born, you need to be born, and then you need to be born of the Spirit. The problem is that doesn't fit what he, the conversation he's having with Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, can, be, can a man be born and crawl back into his mother's womb? Right? Jesus will reprimand him and say, "You're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things." Right? He's talking about spiritual things, right? And so, so, this is the means, and so Jesus is looking forward to this. And again, go read the early church. How do they understand these passages? Universally, <laughs> they all. No one says amniotic fluid. Not a one.
2: Yes. Yes. Yep. Can Do it here. Do it here. Hmm?
3: Yeah, do it here. Okay. I just haven't seen anything. Yeah, yeah. you'll see it. Yeah. And one thing, going back to John the Baptist and uh-huh. Jesus at the Jordan, mm-hmm. Jesus himself was baptized and received the Spirit at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there can't be too much stronger no. argument than that. Yeah.
1: There's
0: tons of other passages to go to, but yeah, what we see in Jesus' baptism is Jesus is again... What Jesus is showing us in the Gospels is this is what it looks like to actually be doing the things that God has called you to do. This is what it looks like to actually be righteous, right? Um, and so he talks, John says, well, you're supposed to be baptizing me, right? Well, this is done to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is showing us this is what it looks like to live a Christian life. So what does he do? He goes into the water, the spirit descends on him, and the father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. When we then read the New, further on in the New Testament, how, how, do, how do we talk about uh, baptism and the spirit and how that's all related, right? Paul talks about how the spirit that is in us that we receive at our baptism, cries out out in our hearts, Abba Father, so that we know that he's he's our father, that God is our father, right? In Jesus' baptism, we actually see the whole thing, what's gonna be prefigured, right? He's prefiguring those things that at our baptism, we become children of God, we receive the spirit, we enter into his body, we enter into the church. This is the way that God has done this. Again, can God work through other means? Are there people that that are in the grace of God that haven't been baptized or things like that. Yeah, sure. God can do whatever God wants to do, right? The question is not, how much can I get away with outside of what God wants me to do, <laughs> right? Wrong question. The question is, what did God command in his scriptures? You don't see anybody do saying... If that's what the Bible says. Yeah, if that's what the Bible says, why not do it? You, do, you don't see the apostles, you know, when they say, well, what, what must we do? They don't say, well, well go ahead and say uh, a Jesus prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. They just don't do that. Jesus gave them a way for them to become Christians. And so when we try to replace that with other things, we're actually fighting against the scriptures, right? So what we want to do is we want to go back to the scriptures. What it got handed down to us, how has the church always understood them? Because we want to be Catholic. We want to receive the whole faith, right? We don't want to pick and choose. So when we see that this is how the church has always done these things, um, right? Again, I assume that I'm wrong, right? So... That was me just, just, like I said, when I was you know, in those evangelical churches. I'd, I'd read these passages, right? Um, I'd read 1 Corinthians 11. Some of you are getting sick and dying because you're not uh, discerning the body of the Lord when you take communion. And I'm going, well, that seems like there's more going on there than it's just a symbol, <laughs> right? If I, if I walk over to the American flag and go stomp on it, nothing happens to me. You might be bad, but like, nothing happens to me, right? <laughs> God doesn't strike me down. And yet Paul says some of you are getting sick and dying because you're taking communion in an unworthy manner right? When Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, right? And they, is this man going to give us his flesh to eat? Jesus doesn't go, oh, it's a metaphor. He keeps going. He doubles down to the point where people start to leave and he turns to the disciples. Are you going to leave too? Well, we don't really get this, but you have the words of life. So what are we going to do, right? So being able to look at that, and, that's, and that's, that's the thing, right? So like, I, I don't want to like bash on the evangelicals, right? Because the big thing is they do emphasize studying the scriptures, knowing the scriptures. The question is, are we understanding them right? Do we have the right way? Which traditions are we following? The tr- how the church has always done it or something new? Let's avoid can new things. you class to all the
1: pastors?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm not a pastor. Once you become Yeah, One
2: be
0: yeah. yeah then, then they'll want to hear I'll me. Yeah. <laughs> <can> hear <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that's, the, that's the job of, of a bishop is to make sure that, that the, the priests under them are, are teaching the faith. That's their job. So, And I think our bishop does a good job. Um, it's not easy. <laughs> so, And there's lots of things to make sure you're getting right, right? So, um, The last part of the creed, we talk about how we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Paul talks about in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Again, this whole last section of the creed is really intentionally or otherwise showing us what is, how does the Holy Spirit work in the life of the church? Right? Who is the Holy Spirit? He's God, he's worshiped, glorified alongside the Father and the Son. And how, what is he doing in our lives? He's the one that brings about unity in the church. He's the one that brings about holiness. Right? He's the one that, uh, that shows us what the faith is, Right? reminds us of what Jesus' words are. Um, he's the one that works through the apostles so that they can forgive sins, so that they can um, confirm and actually give people the spirit he's the one that raises us up in the end, right? That's through God's spirit that he raises us up in the end um, so that we can live with with God forever so that that our mortal bodies, our bodies that can die, will be made alive, uh, that we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. That doesn't mean that we fly away to heaven, right? When we die, we will be with Jesus who's in heaven, but when he returns, like we talked about last session, when he returns, we will come back to life, have physical bodies, mortal bodies that are different, right? Jesus' body was different in some ways, but they're still bodies, but they've been made new and that God does this through his spirit. Um, And again, the whole point of this is not that we feel like we're really smart, right? Hopefully you can now say the creed and get a a better idea of what we're talking about, right? And actually think, oh yeah, I do believe this because I know what we're saying, that's helpful. But the whole point of knowledge, the whole point of learning more about God is so that we can worship him better, so that we can love him better. Um, So as as we conclude, as we always do, let's conclude with a hymn, Holy, 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 number 362.
4: merciful and mighty, God in three Persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore Thee. Casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which were and art and evermore shalt be holy, holy, holy though the darkness hide thee though the uh, sinful human eye thy glory may not see Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Holy, 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 Lord God mighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons. Blessed Trinity, Father, we bless you. We thank you for
0: your goodness towards us. We thank you that you sent your Son to die for us, to rise again for us, that he will come again to raise us back to life with him. We thank you that when he returns, he will judge heaven and earth. He will set all things right. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that your spirit works in and through us to sanctify us and to make you, make us like your son. We thank you that he works in and through your church to make us holy, to help us to remember the words of your son that we might obey his commandments. We thank you that you have given us means of grace that we might be saved, tangible ways for us to know that we are within your grace, that you made us creatures and so you use the creation itself through the work of your spirit to set us right with you. That through our redemption, you will redeem this whole world and set all things right. That every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, that he, the head over all things, would rule and reign. That through his reign, you would be all in all, that all would be subject to you. We praise you and we thank you for this. We pray that you would help us to purify ourselves in preparation for his return. that you would help us to rely on your spirit and not our own power. Help us to rely on your spirit that we might love you and serve you fully. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.